0: Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show Podcast. Have you got any New Year's resolutions? Stop looking at your phone all the time, maybe? Lose some weight? Perhaps it's alcohol. Maybe you're going to give it up, finally. I'm talking to somebody about his life on and off alcohol. I also have a gentleman guest on the show, Gogs Gagnon, who will share some exciting news about his book, Prostate Cancer Strikes, Navigating the Storm. Also, let's get real on that sex thing this year. What are the five things you need to talk to your partner, lover, spouse about in 2021? And how to look ahead to the new year. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And so, of course, we're going to start out the year with um, what uh, New Year's resolutions. I take my mask off here, if you can hear that. Bing.
1: Live <laughs> as, radio. As, live radio. As
0: the elastic snaps. I'm like, why am I so warm in here? I have a neck warmer on. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to be more put together in 2021. Okay. <laughs> I love it though. You know, you can wear a mask. You can wear, I wear a shield quite often. You know, nobody knows what I look like. I've I, been a big fan
2: of the mask, honestly, for myself. It's it, it's nice. I it's don't
0: mind it No either. shave.
2: It's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And you know, but the only thing is like, if you see someone that you don't know, they <laughs> first, they have the mask on. You've never met them before. You met them in a mask and then you meet them without the mask. It can change their looks. Not that I'm shallow, but it can change their, but I am, I, it changes their, looks all together
2: totally and it's uh, it can be awkward too i ran into jill bennett on the train one day on my way to work and (laughs) she did not know it was me so i was waving at her and i think she was just like i don't know
0: who this is (laughs) oh my gosh well i uh, met with somebody recently and and they said so who's this (laughs) and we had met before but i had a hat on shield mask Glasses. I'm like, of course you don't know who I am. and But, you know, typically people recognize me I mean, in my entire life, long before I had a radio show, by my voice. They, they actually don't remember what I look like. <laughs> it's pretty unimpressive. <laughs> Not very memorable. But the voice, they can remember. I've had, you know, people standing behind me thinking, oh, I know that voice. Anyway, so I, I always assume that. That you'll know me by my voice. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions. If you have any, give me a call. The number to call is 1-877-399-9898. I would love to hear your New Year's resolutions. I haven't given too much thought to mine just yet, but um, of course I'm going to try to take off those pandemic pounds. uh, But something else that I think is a huge time waster, and it is something that a lot of people do, and and there there has been a study uh, recently, it's actually a little bit old now, it's probably from about 2014, that uh, 10% of people check their iPhones during sex and 35% check their iPhones immediately afterward. It's when somebody is actually changing the stations on the TV that you got to worry about though. Um, But this is pretty significant. Um, And so this is a very difficult thing to stop doing if this is your New Year's resolution. Um, You know, it's... Uh, As the philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote in 1654, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone, because what does that force us to do? That forces us to be with ourselves, and sometimes that can be very difficult. Um, And so iPhones were designed, actually, or smartphones, I should say, not just the iPhone, all phones, um, were designed to um, be addictive, quite frankly, Uh, iPhones and... And and smartphones are designed to foster that daily addiction, uh, which can include texting and reading and emails and uh, social media, Instagram, uh, just pickups, checking your phone, however often you do, just to see if somebody has liked something on Facebook or Instagram, or if somebody has texted you, for example. So you can have these notifications on, which they don't actually advise. And I don't know if you've seen Social Dilemma, but they actually say um, you should not um, have any notifications. But people do. People also sit and stare. You've probably seen that people in a in a cafe or a coffee shop staring at their phones, and uh, it gives them um, some type of sense of control or some type of pleasure, uh, because that certainly uh, can or or can be pain, uh, and numbing for pain. So, uh, I have a little text here from John in Winnipeg who says my new year's resolution is to try and be more positive. I have too many negative thoughts in my mind too much weight for me to carry. That's thank you so much John for sharing that because that is so honest and so vulnerable and you know what you are not alone there. There are so many people that can have negative thoughts in in their minds and that can be spurred on by other people, it can be their reaction to other people's, um, opinion or other people's thoughts or ideas or what somebody has said. And so, you know, it's a, it's a much healthier way and, and quite frankly, much easier to be optimistic and to be positive instead of always being the Debbie Downer or looking at the negative side, um, or catastrophizing things. That's something else that, that people do as well. Um, and so, you know, there's, um, it to be negative is really harsh on you, but to be positive and optimistic. And I think this year is a great year to be optimistic and positive because we do have the vaccines, we've been living in a pandemic for 10 months or so. And I think a lot of people have had enough of that, but you know, loneliness kills and it increases blood pressure and because it increases peripheral vascular resistance. And so when people are lonely, they find their phones as a source of comfort for them. And, you know, they often are staring at it. They are talking, to their phone or being, uh, you know, texting on their phone as opposed to paying attention to their families. How many times have you, maybe one of your children or your partner or mother was talking to you and you got a notification and stared at your phone and they said, you're not even listening to me anyway, storming off. I can't say that's happened to me. Maybe it did. Uh, Mary from Winnipeg is on the line. Good evening, Mary. Happy New Year. Thanks. And same to you. Thank you. Last, last week, you read a really good poem. I don't remember the name of it.
2: But I'd like to be more like that person, and I see that as a lifelong quest. And I have friends who would really enjoy that
0: poem. Was it the uh, grow, be tall, yet reconciled to yourself, the weeping child, love, be easy, and be warm, find the fire beyond the form, forgive yourself, forgive, sins long dead, and learn to live? Was it that one? I think so. Yeah. Okay, that is such a fabulous poem. And that was actually told to me by a colleague uh, of mine, a former colleague of mine that I worked with. And at the time, he was about uh, maybe 65 or 70 years old. He was on the verge of retirement. And his father had told that to him. And, and so we figured it with the author is unknown and we figured it was about 150 years old. And what I love about that poem is that if that was 150 years old, people had the same problems. They're dealing with the same human issues that we're dealing with today. And that, that poem has stood the test of time and it is applicable for so many people because I think we fail to enjoy the present moment and we fail to enjoy, you know, the good things in life. And, uh. You know, we get uh, caught up on, and we sweat the small stuff.
2: And I think the thing is, is that, you know, loving oneself is a lifelong journey and teaching better care of oneself. And I think the more you do that for yourself, the better able you are
1: to
0: do it for others, Absolutely. And it's largely about forgiveness, forgiveness of yourself and forgiveness of other people as well. And, you know, we all make mistakes. We're human beings. We're going to make mistakes and, and those mistakes can often play out in relationships. And and so we can get hurt by somebody else. And, and what we're really, what's really happening, what, when we're hurt by someone else, we're allowing somebody to rent space for free in our heads. What we're actually saying is I'm not good enough. Like I'm allowing, I'm giving my power over to that person. When, when, as you say, if you have self love and you love yourself, um, you don't give that power over to somebody else. Right. Thank you, Mary so much for reminding me of one of my favorite poems. Um, The other one is uh, Rudyard Kipling. I won't go through it, but uh, (laughs) if you could keep your head when those about you were losing theirs and blaming it on you. Um, But getting back to um, the New Year's resolution, and unfortunately I have to wrap up um, quickly, but, you know, maybe this year is going to be a year of digital minimalism for you, and you're going to choose um, to be more focused in what can be just a a crazy world online in particular. And so, um, you know, you you might want to drop the low quality activities like Mindless phone swiping and half-hearted binge watching and waiting for likes and, and looking for somebody else to approve of you. Joining me on the line right now, though, is somebody who has improved medical conditions for uh, people around the world. At uh, age 57, Gogs Gagnon became one of the millions of men diagnosed with prostate cancer during their lifetimes. Now he's helping millions of men through his book, Prostate Cancer Strikes, Navigating the Storm. Good evening, Gogs. Welcome back.
3: Hello, Maureen. Thank you for having me back on your show. Oh, I'm, d-
0: I'm delighted to have you back. Thanks for joining me. Happy New Year.
3: Oh, Happy New Year.
0: So um, you were diagnosed with prostate cancer a few years ago.
3: That's correct. I was 57 years old at the time, and I was uh, extremely active and healthy and fit, and I had no symptoms of any kind, so it was quite uh, shocking to receive the diagnosis.
0: Quite a shock. And you documented your uh, diagnosis and your journey. And
3: well, I sh- uh, well, I sure did, but I tell you, when I was first diagnosed, uh, it was quite devastating, and I I really had no plans to write a book. I didn't even want to talk about it. It was uh, quite devastating, and I really just wanted to curl up in a ball and hide, really. Uh, I was quite fortunate uh, to have a spouse, my wife, who was very loving and supporting, and she encouraged me to talk about it and open up and come out of my my shell, and um, it took some convincing. convincing but uh, after a while, I, I started to open up and share with her, and and I realized it was quite helpful to talk about it and quite therapeutic.
0: And you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask you if that was therapeutic for you. Often, Oh,
3: absolutely, it was very difficult to kind of. I, I think maybe growing up in, in a you know as a man you know you're, you're kind of taught to stand on your own two feet and not show your pain and not show your emotions and 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 try to solve your own problems and, and keep it all in and uh, but that wasn't really the best type of an attitude to have and it was kind of working against me so but when I you know when, when I talked to my wife and, and I and I realized that she was non-judgmental and and not. Uh, you know, just allowing me to talk freely, um, it was quite uh, uh, emotional healing. And, and so, I,
0: How did keeping it, your emotions in check, if you will, um, how was that uh, unhelpful, as you say?
3: Uh, well, unhelpful as far as keeping it inside, because I, I, I know when I was, you know, growing up, you're always supposed to not show your emotions as a man. You, you mm-hmm. know, when you get hit by a baseball, you're supposed to go walk it off and, uh, you know, man up. Uh, but I, I found that by keeping it inside, that it, it, it just, uh, was kind of eating away at me and I was kind of going down this dark hole because mm-hmm. I immediately thought the worst. I thought my life was over and, uh, I was just going into this real state of darkness. Um,
0: yeah. And often people go to this worst case scenario kind of thing, especially when they hear the word cancer.
3: Mm-hmm, absolutely. That was kind of my first thought, uh, so I was quite, you know, fortunate to have my wife there with me. Uh, I didn't realize that uh, I would need emotional support. I, you know, the, the kind of the things you think of uh, when you get a cancer diagnosis is you kind of think about the, you know, physical impacts, but not necessarily the emotional impacts. So, I, you know, the emotional impacts are just as devastating as this, the physical impacts can be, and, and they really need uh, attention, you know, both the physical and emotional side.
0: Mm-hmm. And how are you doing today, Gogs?
3: Oh, actually, I I feel great. Um, <laughs> um, I I don't even feel like I had my my surgery. I, I'm I'm doing well. I'm not really suffering any of the long term side effects, and I've just been very fortunate. Though, and it's very important, I think, for for anyone who's facing a cancer diagnosis to realize that. Every case is unique, and every case needs to kind of you need to to be aware of your own health and your own conditions and your own test results and you know not every procedure is going to work the same way
0: mm-hmm. and there are different treatment options for prostate cancer. Uh, did you have difficulty choosing there's there's surgery there's you know a radical prostatectomy, um, well, there's radiation, there's watchful oh, waiting
3: yes there's there's many options that's that's for sure, but i I actually chose too quickly and and I think uh, out of fear, uh, the first thing you know I thought of anyway was let's get rid of it uh, mm-hmm. and, and even even when I said that to my uh, urologist, he said that we we don't have enough information <laughs> mm-hmm. to make a decision. There's still more tests to be done, uh, we don't even know if it's contained. Uh, and it's just too early, but somehow in the back of my mind, I already kind of made that, that leap.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
3: what I wanted. Uh, and I, I didn't really take his advice because he really wanted me to, to to take my time with it and realize that uh, it, when you're first diagnosed, you're going to be in some kind of a shock and mm-hmm. you're going to need time just to uh, get over that, just to accept your diagnosis before you make any kind of decisions. Uh, and he wanted me to see... Radiation oncologist, and he wanted me to go to the cancer clinic, and you know he he wanted me to do my my diligence, and and to be honest, I did do a lot of research, but I think I was a little biased, uh, you know, looking back, reflecting. Mm I was a little biased on my uh, decision-making.
0: Do you have regret about the type of, I mean, you're doing great, you don't have any of the adverse events, which are erectile dysfunction and urinary incontinence, two of the most common. We've talked about those on the show. But do you regret what you chose?
3: I I don't regret it only because it worked for me. But I I tell you this, though, if it didn't work for me, I would not only regret it, but I would just be, in. and because I didn't do my homework, as I really recommend that everyone needs to do that, um, at least see, the position I would have rather say, the position I would have rather been in is to do my homework, do my diligence, have an open mind, even though you might think you have an open mind, have an open mind, and look at all the options and speak with more than one doctor mm-hmm. and speak with other patients that have gone through it before you before you you make a decision then when you make your decision, which then you feel is the best decision for you. Even if that treatment of choice failed, mm-hmm. at least I would be able to take comfort mm-hmm. in knowing that I did my homework.
0: Right. It's an informed decision. So you've made the homework easier for people by writing, or for those men who are diagnosed with prostate cancer. So by writing, Prostate Cancer Strikes, yes. Navigating the Storm. And and this book is now available, much more available to people. Tell me about that.
3: Uh, yes. Well, um, uh, basically, um, the, the book took me about two years to write, and, and, and as I said, I, I, no, I, I didn't even think about writing a book, I, I didn't even want to talk about it, but with the help of my wife who helped me talk about it, I started to write a journal, and it was really just a private journal, just for mm-hmm. myself, and what had happened is, uh, over time, friends and family asked me how I was doing, so I decided to share some of my private journal with them, mm-hmm. and the feedback i got was so uh, overwhelming that they 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 wanted more they wanted me to k- keep them updated so that's when i decided to write a book and that's when i decided if i'm going to write it has to be a complete uh, uh, experience with nothing left out uh, so i was able to uh, write it uh, uncensored I found a publisher published the book and i've been receiving uh, testimonials from actually Uh, all over the world uh, from different doctors and prostate cancer organizations. And recently, uh, Prostate Cancer Foundation BC contacted me, and they wanted to include my book in what they call the Reef Knot Kit. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a package that the foundation puts together that contains information about prostate cancer that they give away free to all newly diagnosed patients uh, in B.C. uh, across the province.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Now, how would people be able to um, access that? Where would they go to get the All they
3: would need to do is uh, either go to Prostate Cancer Foundation B.C. website, and they can request the reef not get, uh, or they can call them directly.
0: It's fantastic. Gogs, thank you so much. It's great to check in with you again. And, and I'm so happy that you're healthy. And I wish all the best for you in 2021. And, and of course, above all else, stay healthy.
3: Yes, thank you very
0: much. <laughs> you're welcome. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge. Uh, when we share our knowledge with other people, we empower others. It's It's a great gift when we share our stories. the new year and it's time for New Year's resolutions. And one of the most common ones next to losing weight is going off of alcohol. Alcohol does some things to your body. It affects your, your brain. It, it interferes with normal brain function. Long-term drinking and binge drinking can damage your heart and weaken your heart muscles over time. Uh, the burden that the liver has on filtering alcohol out of your system... Um, if, is, is very difficult and c- that can cause permanent liver damage and lead to uh, cirrhosis of the liver, one of the more common ones. Alcohol can affect, negatively affect your bones, your kidneys. You can It can lead to high blood pressure, fertility. It can actually dehydrate your skin and widen blood vessels, making your skin look red or blotchy. It affects your intestines, your stomach, your lungs because it weakens the lungs over time and it makes them more susceptible to collapsed lungs or infections like pneumonia It can also trigger mood swings, and although many people use alcohol to calm their nerves or treat their anxiety, it actually can make depression, anxiety, and personality disorders much worse. Joining me on the line is a gentleman that I think the world of, (laughs) Matt Hyland, and uh, he and I are good friends, and we've been colleagues as well, and uh, he's going to share his story tonight about life on alcohol and life off of alcohol. Good evening and Happy New Year, Matt. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. Uh, you know, it's,
2: it's funny to be on the other end of the, uh, the phone here. <laughs> Hearing that music again just brought back some memories.
0: Exactly. Matt was my former board op. <laughs> Miss you still, even though Mike's doing a great job. Um, but uh, you're one of a kind, Matt. Um, so thanks so much for agreeing to come on the program tonight and, and talk about your life uh, before alcohol and after. Uh, or after alcohol and before alcohol,
2: <laughs> however, yeah, on and off. Thank you. I'm, if you I'm, will. I'm very happy to. Uh, I'm very happy to to talk about it.
0: So, uh, tell me a little bit about your journey. When did you realize that alcohol was a problem for you?
2: Um, it's. I've probably known uh, for six or seven years, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And it had been over the last four or five. Uh, I would say probably five. I had been that's when i started to to reach out get help i i kind of first started by going to aa meetings um i also received some counseling when i was going to bcit but this wasn't anything that that crept up on me like i drinking was always a problem for me i right from when i first started drinking when i was 16 it was binge drinking or or nothing unfortunately
0: so once you started you couldn't stop is that effectively binge drinking
2: um, I think that it was always a race growing up, mm-hmm. and it was always a competition to have the most. And then as I, I went traveling and whatnot, drinking was always a big part of countries that I was in, in Ireland and in Australia, and um, it it... it it used to be something that i would do for a celebration or like you were talking about earlier to relax mm-hmm. and and then it got to a point a couple years ago where it was i i had to drink for myself to feel normal and um just to even interact with people and not be um like you were mentioning how uh, it, yeah it, it the happy the feeling of happiness left mm-hmm. and like that and it was, I was just trying to maintain a really low standard of, of, um, normalcy. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point where I, I drank more and more and more until, unfortunately, it was every waking minute I, um, I was looking for something to drink.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was they there's a lot of talk about rock bottom and a lot of people equate that to, you know, being homeless and living on the street, but that's not necessarily rock bottom for people. Did you experience that or what was yeah, it that said, I question. need help?
2: That's um, something that we talk a lot about in therapy and what, like, because everyone's journey in addiction is uh, vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I had been drinking so much that when I stopped, my body, my withdrawals were so severe that I had seizures. Oh. And um, so I was hospitalized
1: mm-hmm. and
2: um, it was at that point that I decided to, um, to go to a center and, and get help. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm very happy. I'm very lucky that um, I was able to go to a place uh, my parents uh, helped uh, pay to, to to put me into this place.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I'm very lucky that I got to go there. It was um, um, it was it was amazing. It it I, I've I had been wanting to go to detox, mm-hmm. um, but with covid they had closed down detoxes in Victoria um, with the expectation that they were going to need the beds uh, Mm -hmm. for COVID. And so when I, in the springtime, when I finally got in to go to detox, they turned me away um, because uh, I had told them I, I hadn't had a drink in a week. They're like, no, we can't do this. And that's what actually one of the biggest tragedies right now is that so many people are turning to alcohol. And drugs, and um, because we don't have to get into detail about what's the mental stress of everything that's happening right now, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, that's another uh, healthcare crisis that we're we have going on in this country is the loneliness factor, the low self-esteem, the loss of jobs, you know, and the and the trying to feel better. Um, and oftentimes people will do that through alcohol. So I imagine it affected your life in a negative fashion. Um, yeah, while you were I drinking. had always,
2: I had always considered myself a functional alcoholic. Um, and I, w- I was always able to go to work, um, and maintain regular interactions with friends and then it got to a point where that wasn't, uh, able to happen. um, I had also been taking antidepressants, Mm -hmm. and so I was drinking to self medicate as well. Um, And,
0: you know, they say that 90% of people are functional alcoholics, they're living in the white pillared homes in the suburbs. Um, you know, we have this classic picture of an alcoholic as someone who always drinks too much and whose life is falling apart because of it, but that's not necessarily the case, but it can get there as, as you described your life getting there. Um, how is life now, Matt, since you've... How long have you been sober? Um, uh,
2: I was four months on Christmas.
0: Congratulations. That's fantastic. Yeah.
2: I'm pretty happy. Um, yeah. It's the longest I've gone... Uh, it's the longest I haven't drank since I was 16, so...
0: That's amazing. And, and there is life without alcohol and you're finding, what are some of the joys that you're experiencing?
2: Um, memory. <laughs> <laughs> memory. Um, Did you want me to uh, sing one, that? <laughs> one, uh, sex drive is back. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, I I have energy to do things. I'm sleeping properly. Uh, I used to sweat ridiculous amounts when I slept. It was gross. Ah. Um, there are all sorts of weird little Um, like my skin's getting better Um, I'm saving money (laughs) yeah (laughs) I have hobbies again
0: yeah Um, nice
2: I I haven't started to date yet it's kind of a recommendation when you uh, when you go through a recovery like this just to focus on yourself Mm -hmm. Um, and it's hard because I want to be with somebody uh, especially when there's not many people in my bubble and, and whatnot, but, uh,
1: mm-hmm. but
2: no, um, I mean, I'm feeling really good right now. And I know that the hardest part for me was making the first step and reaching out for help. And I want people to know that are listening that want to make that step, uh, but can't, uh, I know that I know what it's like to have something holding you back like that, but there are lots of great free links that you can use and to, I, I also, at one point, even called the suicide hotline. Um, I wasn't at the the point suicidal, but I was in such crisis that I needed someone to talk to immediately.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I
0: want to ask you, Matt, if you don't mind, um, are you still on antidepressants? Because this is a big issue for a lot of people who drink alcohol, because it can no, fuel depression. Actually,
2: Um, when I was at the recovery center, I spent two months there after I was, I had sobered up for a month, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so I'm taking medications for that. And I feel like a completely different person. You know, Um, you sound
0: different. I have to be honest with you. You sound fantastic. You sound great.
2: Well, I'm able to, I'm able to think like (laughs) I can, having a a proper conversation, I suppose, is another one of the um, benefits. Yeah. Um, And remembering remembering the conversation when I'm done.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Well, I won't forget it, Matt. And um, thank you so much for joining me. I wish we could talk more, but we'll get you back on the program, this program. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I would love to. All
0: right. Happy New Year. One day at a time. And congratulations. I'm super proud of you. Thank you so much. Well done. Being joined right now by the PhD. Dr. David G. Harper joins me on the line because it's New Year's, and what's the most common New Year's resolution for people? <laughs> it's to lose weight, and this gentleman can help you. He is the author of The Bio Diet. He's a health educator, research, and consultant, and he is on the line with me. Good evening and Happy New Year, David.
4: Happy New Year to you too, Maureen. It's been a while since we've last chatted—like nine months.
0: <laughs> I wonder I a, why. I had a baby. No, <laughs> uh, in that time, um, it's been too long. I'll tell you, <laughs> it's not because I wasn't eating my way through the pandemic. I was.
4: <laughs> I think I don't think you're alone there. I think uh, no. a lot of people have put put on what they uh, you know humorously call the COVID nineteen the 19 pounds that you probably don't need. And uh, maybe people are thinking about getting rid of that now.
0: Exactly. And because what what did people do in the pandemic? They took to bread making. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. <laughs> they took to baking. You know, they took to the kitchen. <laughs> Oftentimes when we're upset, we take to the bedroom and <laughs> cry our hearts out. But, you know, in a pandemic, we uh, took to the kitchen. And yeah, uh, I,
4: I, Actually, that speaks to something, Maureen, is that, uh, you know, we... We, we, we eat for lots of reasons other than just nutrition, and one of them is, is emotional support. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we, we turn to comfort foods in, in, in times of discomfort, and I think that's pretty natural.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I've often said, well, at least we've all kind of gone up 19 pounds together, you know, so none of us really look different. So we all, <laughs> all kind of look the same because we're, we, you know, in terms of weight, we, you know, subliminally compare ourselves to other people, Right.
4: I well, I think so, and that's part of the you know the imagery you see on uh, on television and magazines often isn't a very real uh, perspective for for how people uh, really look, um, especially if you go into the United States where they've just uh, surpassed seventy five percent overweight and obese for the adult population. So, Unbelievable, huh? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a real problem, and it, you know it's certainly got worse in the last nine months. And 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 it, of course, along with that comes the comorbidities uh, that are associated with obesity, which include. Uh, heart disease and cancer and especially diabetes.
0: And and pain. I think there's so many other issues. I think depression and pain and inactivity. And I, I think there's so body image issues, relationship issues. There's so much that is associated with nutrition and your nutritional status and how you feel about yourself, you know, is really highly tied to what you put in your mouth, basically.
4: I like to say it's the most uh, important health decision you make every day is what's on the end of your fork. And, you know, in terms of weight management and weight loss, uh, certainly nutrition. It seems to follow the eighty twenty rule: is that uh, controlling your weight and losing weight is about eighty percent diet and only about twenty percent uh, related to exercise.
0: And yet, people focus so much on exercise. I, I, I see a lot of patients over over. I don't use Zoom; I use another HIPAA compliant platform. But um, you know, on video conferencing, and you know, a lot with body image issues, and mm-hmm. um, and you know, they are so focused on exercising, yet. They, you know, well, they're often hungrier after this excessive, intensive exercise, and and they feel badly about about their bodies. Um,
4: yeah, and I, yeah, I think I think that's again, that's kind of natural. We, we we tend to think of that because we know if we work out. Uh, our body image improves, and, and exercise is a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong; I'm a kinesiology professor, so mm-hmm. I, I, I believe very strongly in exercise. And <laughs> I've loaded up my apartment with a water rower and an indoor bike and uh, some weights. <laughs>
0: a, a water so, rower. What's a water oh, rower?
4: It's it's like a rowing machine, but it works uh, with water resistance. Oh, Okay. And, uh, yeah, we just <laughs> we just purchased that recently. It's fantastic. <laughs> I got to say, it's good exercise. Oh, that's great. And, of course, I love the water.
0: I love the water. I don't like to exercise indoors. That's a bit of a problem for me. I actually went for a swim on New Year's Day in the I ocean. Won't.
4: Wonderful. Yes. We may have seen you out there. I was staying on the beach watching some crazy people.
0: (laughs) 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 I lasted a lot longer than I was expecting. I couldn't find my uh, wetsuit either. Um, But yeah, I'm a big exercise fiend as well. Every day um, Mm -hmm. exercise for me. I think it's fantastic for mental health. Uh, But I also, you know, I can't say that what's on the end of my fork is always the best decision that I could make, uh, especially Mm -hmm. in this pandemic. And, you know, I've been one of those, I've been fortunate in that I've been busy in this pandemic. Um, but with that too comes less focus on you know eating healthily um, so but you have created and I was telling a friend of mine that I went for a hike with today about you and and your book the bio diet and I know she's listening in because she she asked me if I wanted to go on it together with her yep. she wanted a buddy um, which is often a good idea for people who are trying to to lose weight um, absolutely yeah, yeah and I just want that wanna, buddy lives with you what's that? Especially if the buddy lives with you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, This one doesn't. The buddy that lives with me. Yeah. That's a problem. (laughs) We'll have to, I actually said I'm moving out. (laughs) I'm going to a hotel for a month because I do not like what you're bringing into this house. (laughs) And, um, you know, some people have better discipline than others. Um, so, you know, some people can just eat a little and then there are some of us who eat the entire bag, but, um, I was going to say to the listeners out there if anyone has any questions about the bio diet, uh the number to call is 1 or for Dr. David G Harper PhD. The number to call is 18773999898. That's 18773999898. You can text there as well or you can email at com. So, um please Dr. Harper re-educate me and the listeners on the bio diet.
4: Yeah, well thanks. So, so- you know, we've, I'm a researcher. I, I make evidence-based decisions about uh, try to do that about everything I do. But certainly, my research area has been in, in nutrition and, uh, and its effects on chronic disease. So, my my main focus isn't really weight loss. But it turns out that um, the clinical studies, the ones that you can pay attention to, the ones that are published in the in peer-reviewed journals that are robust studies, clearly indicate that the the best way to lose body fat which, of course, is weight and, and keep it off is, is through a well-balanced ketogenic diet, which is a very, very low-carbohydrate diet. Essentially, you eliminate carbohydrate from your diet. Uh, and it's not intended to be a uh, short-term calorie-restricted diet. This is intended to be a, a permanent lifestyle change that, that will really, uh, I think the evidence is very clear, that it really reduces your risk of, of uh, chronic disease. We're talking about cancer, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, and others. Uh, by about uh, 70% I estimate and and uh, and it, there's also some good evidence that I've been following with the covid that it that it helps protect against acute disease like respiratory infections as well so so it's not necessarily just a weight loss plan it's really a good health plan and you lose weight in the process
0: which is fantastic and so if if somebody says uh, you know I I feel I need to lose 20 20- pounds or 19 pounds, let's say. Um, Is this uh, the kind of lifestyle that somebody is guaranteed to continue to do and until they lose that 19 or that desired weight? Or is it a new lifestyle and you will actually be the weight you were supposed to be?
4: (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's more the latter. I think we all have, you know, there's there's various theories about, you know, what your weight should be in set points and various ways of measuring it. And, we tend to use body mass index. I shouldn't say we because I don't, and, and increasingly in science we don't use it because it's not a very good measure. Uh, you know, body fat is far, far better measure of, of your state of health. And we were talking about pain earlier too. Uh, people don't often don't know that uh, that increase in body fat, and I'm talking about the mid abdominal obesity, uh, is is highly associated with an inflammatory condition, which of course makes those uh, conditions conditions worse as well. So yeah, it's a lifestyle change. And uh, it, it, it has some challenges. The first thing I should say is, you shouldn't uh, do this uh, based on what you find, you know, on the on internet videos or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book with my wife, Dale, is to, is to make it approachable and engaging. But also, uh, one, one of the things I emphasize is to do this in cooperation with your physician, because it is a, a considerable lifestyle change. And there are some contraindications that you should be aware of um, that you should discuss with your physician too in other words it might not be right for you but uh, when you consider that you know uh, in Canada about two thirds of people are overweight or obese and this is a good way to address it uh, I think it's a good first, uh, first step and, and it doesn't involve drugs and and, uh, and for, the, for most people they will lose women 10 to 15 pounds within a few months and, and men about uh, 20 to 25 pounds
0: yeah, of and course. as long as
4: you stay on it you should keep it off
0: yeah Men always lose much more weight much faster. Um, well,
4: they start bigger, too. And and th- th- there may be some some uh, hormonal things associated there as well. Uh, we do know that women and men respond differently to nutritional changes, but uh, I think it's just that men tend to be
0: larger to start with. Right, right. Um, and you walk the talk as well, so you actually yeah. live according to the bio diet yourself. And I've seen you in person, although I can't have you in the studio right now. Um, you are very trim. <laughs> Very lean.
4: Yeah, I weigh the, the same weight I did. I was actually, when COVID hit, we were doing, we were taking you through the 12, uh, 12 weeks, uh, the five steps of the bio diet, and I had headed down to Denver to give a, a talk right. on uh, on cancer and ketogenic diets to a group of physicians in Denver, and I I was there uh, March thirteenth on uh, Friday the thirteenth, and squeaked back into Canada in time and did my uh, my two uh, two weeks of quarantine. Uh, fortunately uh, escaped any kind of uh illness and uh but but since then i haven't i haven't gained a pound I weigh the same that I did before and i've managed to stick with it for uh over eight years now
0: the only person in the pandemic who weighs the same. Uh, Dr. David G. Harper is my guest. He's on the line. He's the author of The Bio Diet. And we're going to talk about that specifically. If you have a question for the doctor, the number to call is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. You can also text. But I wanted to read this text just before Dr. Harper was on. We had Matt Hyland on and uh, he shared his story about being sober for the last four months and what life has been like before and after alcohol. And I just love this from this gentleman, listener in Calgary, Brian. He writes, Hi, Maureen. I want to wish Matt a wonderful sober time. I am coming up on 38 years, and I'm sure that life will be great if he stays sober one day at a time. Brian from Calgary. Thank you so much, Brian. That is so nice. I've actually taken a picture of that text, and I'm going to text that to Matt. Um, So thanks so much. Uh, Getting back to... uh, Diet. <laughs> oh, my least favorite word. Uh, but it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Dr. Harper, thanks so much for staying on the line with me. Sure.
4: Yeah, right. and, uh, you know, great, very courageous of of Matt and others to make that lifestyle change. And, and uh, you know, they've recognized they're doing something that was damaging to their health and have decided to make a change. And. And you had another person, uh, you know, say thirty-eight years later, they're on the same voyage, and you can do the same thing with your with your nutrition. You make the change once, and only once, and then uh, then you're fine.
0: Absolutely. And so, tell me how this uh, change is made. Tell if for the listeners, if you don't mind, uh, please educate them on the bio diet. And and can they have that glass of wine? Of course, not everybody has a problem with alcohol, and some people might like to have a drink once or twice a week. Is that allowed on the bio diet? Uh, the short answer
4: is yes. Uh after you've adapted it takes a couple of weeks to adapt to a ketogenic diet because there's a pretty significant metabolic change that occurs in your body when you shift from burning sugars which is carbohydrates to burning uh, to burning fats and and so during that process uh, it's best to avoid alcohol. Uh but my wife and I uh we enjoy wine. Wine, you know, fermentation is a good thing. It turns uh it, <laughs> it turns sugar into alcohol and so it's it doesn't affect uh, your uh, insulin levels and so on in your blood like like sugar would. Uh, and most um, alcoholic drinks are fairly low carbohydrate with the exception of beer, of course. Uh, there are some low-carb beers. Uh, most of them, they haven't they have worked at a very tasty low-carb beer yet, but I hope they do. Uh, but yeah, you can you can have a glass or two of wine, of course, as long as there's no uh, other um, preconditions that would prevent you from doing that.
0: Okay, great, good to know. And so, what is somebody? What is life like on the bio diet? Well,
4: like, you know, uh, well, it's. What it, do you, you, have you have for breakfast <laughs> uh, today? I actually had some uh, some keto friendly uh, pancakes. I make with with almond flour and, and eggs and uh, and cream, and they're very tasty uh and and for dinner you know my dinner would look much like yours without any any potatoes rice uh pasta or anything like that um and generally the differences you eat uh, i mean almost all the food is, is is fresh uh prepared food you don't eat any processed food Uh and by doing so you gain much more control over your nutrition so you do have to spend more time thinking about food and purchasing food and. And making food there are there are many many uh, ketogenic uh, friendly products on the market now and even a lot of those home deliveries have keto options um, it is still the most googled uh, nutrition term uh, i think it's now three years running is, is is you know keto or ketogenic so it's it's become very popular and much more mainstream If we we're having this conversation five years ago most of your listeners wouldn't have heard of it, but now it seems to be, uh, seems to be popular. And I think that's because of its success and also what we've been able to show in the clinic in terms of the health benefits, too. So it's, it's a five-step program that I've designed, which is based on our clinical studies. And it, and it starts with making some measurements that you can do at home um, so that you can measure how much success you're having. Uh, and also making that all important appointment with your physician to discuss it, uh, and then you, you, um, you know, sort of slowly remove first sugar and then other carbohydrates from your diet in a week or two, and, and then you have to go pretty zero carb for a couple of weeks to stimulate that metabolic change in your body, um, and then you, and then you just you you work into a lifestyle where you're 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 buying different foods, you're making different foods, and you're eating different foods. Uh, and there are many, many great cookbooks out there, and you can certainly have very satisfying, enjoyable food. You'll find, uh, because it's it's low-carb, it's also high-fat, and fat is where all the flavor is, all the taste, all the satisfaction, and you'll, you'll find very quickly that you don't really miss those carbs. Uh, because you're enjoying all that uh, that 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 lovely uh,
0: fat in foods, and you know people don't typically feel well when they're eating so many carbs. And so I does, don't think so. Yeah, I don't for sure. I'm not a huge carb fan, but um, I, I definitely don't feel that well if I if I do find myself in the chip bag, um, but uh, which I find myself in often. Uh, but you know, how <laughs> do people report feeling better after having been on the the bio diet?
4: Uh, initially, you know, to be very candid, initially, no, I mean, there is this, this period that often is called the keto flu, which happens during this adjustment period where you can get some headaches, you know, and some digestive issues and so on. That's, that's temporary for, for, uh, you know, vast majority of people. Um, and, but, uh, in all of the clinical uh, work I've done, um, which is, I guess, hundreds of people getting close to thousands, but hundreds of people, Um, uh, they've all reported that they feel great after the 12 weeks that's the one consistent thing is everybody says you know maybe they didn't lose as much weight as they hoped or or uh, or whatnot but they all report feeling well and part of that is that um, you know carbohydrates uh, stimulate the release of inflammatory uh, chemicals in in the in the body too and that creates like those inflammatory things or the things that make us feel unwell.
0: So this year, it's an, communication is the most important aspect of a relationship. Whether you are lovers or friends or siblings or family, it is so important and so much gets lost in translation. And so you don't want that translation to get lost um, in the bedroom. But did I give the number to call on the... Did I give that number? one 399 9898 Or you can text if you like, feel free. Um, Anyway, so it's important to talk about fantasies, fetishes, and of course, desire. And, you know, desire is something that a lot of women at least believe in and and men too. They think that desire comes first and desire does not come first over the long term. It may come first initially in a relationship, but as time goes on, desire becomes responsive. So I hear so many... Women saying they have no desire, but, you know, it's because they think the desire comes first and that's based on that Masters and Johnson model of sexual desire, the female or the male sexual response cycle, which starts with desire and then goes to arousal, lubrication, plateau, orgasm, resolution, but... Desire is actually responsive. And so, this is probably the most integral aspect of sex education that I provide to patients. And that is that you, you know, if you have a loving and consensual relationship and you don't feel like having sex, maybe you're too tired or maybe you just don't feel like it. Uh, have other things to do, shopping lists, thinking about the ceiling color, whatever. There's a million other things you can do. And the chronic busyness is another issue that probably reared its head in, uh, in this pandemic because people were much less busy. But desire is responsive. So if you accept your loving partner's sexual advances and you do it and you enjoy it, we call that responsive desire. So that's very important in the relationship but but also if you have any fantasies or or fetishes it's um you know it may not be the best idea to spring that on your partner in the moment and i often recommend couples to have a conversation about you know being a bondage queen or secret dominatrix outside of the bedroom you know it might be too much in in the heat of the moment and or sometimes if you're asking for something and it's in the heat of the moment somebody might be become surprised by it and think oh no i don't want to do that but if if there's a conversation prior to it, might be a better way. Also, it's important to discuss your sexual history and future plans. Like, are you, you know, um, it's because whoever you've had sex with, you're having sex with that that many people as well, and um, and so you need to have clear STEI testing within the last six months. Um, you know, so these are conversations that is important uh, to have. Don't look at, don't leave it up to your partner to look out for your best interests. You actually have to advocate for yourself yourself in um, something like this. So, um, and in fact, it's kind of nice for the two of you to go and get tested together if you don't have a current STI testing, but you know, talk about it. Talk about family planning. That's an important discussion of any pre-sex discussion and, and also talk to your partner about use the different uh, birth control methods as well and using birth control methods. Um you know it's pretty uncomfortable to deal with an unplanned pregnancy before either of you are really ready to become parents now here's something else I was talking to a uh, patient uh, the other day online, and it was somebody who is in a marriage and it's a sexless marriage and in fact they've kind of gone their own ways in the same house um, but they uh, one was considering you know having a uh, as they termed it, an affair. And I thought, is it really an affair if you're actually not living, you're in separate bedrooms and, um, you know, there's there's no communication. It's basically the marriage has ended, but they're still living in the same house, which is often the case because people um, find housing very expensive. And especially if in the pandemic, you've lost your job, it's forced people to make different decisions. Um, and so there was somebody, this, this particular person had met and they were thinking about... Um, having, um, a a relationship with them. And they, um, they actually, this particular person said, I hope the person isn't sleeping with their spouse still, because that other person that they were thinking of having the affair with was also, um, married was actually, well, they're both, both couples are still married. Um, but they were, you know, that person didn't want the other person to be sleeping with the spouse, but, You know, there's no guarantees there. You have to have that conversation. And, you know, if you have any sexual secrets, it's important to um, raise those as well. I do have a text here. Um, Hi there, Maureen. Would love to try that toy with my wife of 20 years. We have tons of toys, but she's lost interest in trying them lately. Something new would be a win-win. Well, that's for sure. Um, And that's the Womanizer. So absolutely, you will be entered into the contest Um, you know, you might find it if you have not actually, um, you know, if you're not comfortable talking about sex, you know, it's so unusual, uh, especially for me who talks about sex all the time. But (laughs) anyway, um, we live in such a sexualized world yet is such, it is still such a taboo subject. Um, and so you, you might be a little shy as to how to broach the subject of sex. But as I said, it's probably best to initiate the conversation one-on-one in private, out of the bedroom, in a safe space. You may start by letting your partner know that you have something serious to discuss with them and that you feel a little uncomfortable about it if you do, Um, but you want to be honest. And acknowledging the discomfort is always helpful in any serious discussion. And try to push back... Push back on that awkwardness because, you know, depending on how you were raised, uh, any issues that you may have had as well or any issues that your partner may have had, any sexual trauma, and that's something as well that I want to keep afloat uh, this year as well in the program is the issue of sexual abuse and sexual trauma. It's such an important issue, and and so many people have suffered that, and that is something that can impact quality of life. It will affect anxiety and depression and mental health in people. Uh, it will also impact relationships and intimacy. It has a tremendously negative impact on, on intimacy, and, and so many people suffer as a result of sexual abuse. And so that may be your history, or that may be your partner's history as well and it's it's so important to know that history and it's also so important to be very mindful of that and be very respectful of that because healing is is a lifelong journey and it's extremely difficult um, to heal from sexual abuse and sexual trauma, uh, but it's certainly a subject that I have committed to uh, discussing because I know from your emails and uh, and also the patients that I see in my clinical practices that um, it is a very uh, important issue that has affected so many people so many lives, uh, and so many families are affected are affected about it. Um, so if you um, feel uncomfortable having sexual conversations or revealing your sexual past then you know it's you may want to reconsider whether you want to have sex um, with that particular person but you know it's always a good idea to reach out and to talk feel free to email me anytime nurse hotmail at hotmail.com I do answer all of my emails um, and this is a you know work that I've been doing for 17 18 years and I've heard so many of your stories and um, and I've learned so much from my patients and from the the listeners as well um, on sexual health sexuality things that uh, people deal with judgments and shame and and guilt and um, you know that's all intertwined as well. you know it's not just not so easy just to fall in love and and uh, be attracted to somebody and then it all goes well. That just isn't real life necessarily anyway. Hopefully you will have a uh, focus on your intimate life uh, this year if you're in a relationship or, or maybe commit to meeting somebody because it's, it's good to have somebody else in your life. Loneliness is so detrimental to quality of life and longevity as well.